Well, thanks very much for joining us for this week's podcast. I'm uh, Jonathan Armstrong over here in the UK, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. And Eric's over there in California. And by the, again, the great powers of cross-Atlantic osmosis, (laughs) you've been thinking about smartphones this week, Eric. Yes, this is kind of frightening. Now that we're on podcast 141, we've been having a mind meld lately, and when one of us thinks of something, the other one knows about it. A little, a little frightening. I'm not sure our wives like that. But this is Eric, <laughs> Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris, EJ Sinrod at DwayneMorris.com. And yeah, the topic for today is smartphones can do anything, or is that true? So I'm going to give a little history lesson here, Jonathan, and you're a little bit younger than me. So you might not remember these ancient days where once upon a time a telephone was something that was basically hooked up to a wire uh, in a phone jack and then enabled people to make telephone calls. Imagine that. A phone made telephone calls and nothing more. And so in your home you had one phone line and perhaps multiple phone devices for that line. Period. End of story. And that was terrific, wasn't it? It was beat yodeling. Um, Uh Then things got just a tiny bit more interesting when you could have more than one phone line, for example, going into a home so your teenager, Jonathan, could stay up all night long on his or her phone and there would still be another line available for other family members to use. And again, this was still relatively uh, simple. And our phones, of course, did not follow us around in the world. When we left our home or our office, we had in-person communications, and perhaps we even paid attention to what was happening out and about without looking down into a tiny screen. Hard to remember those days, right? Then time moved forward. As I continue with the history lesson, and Jonathan, at this point you were probably born. Uh, We're in the the late 1980s, and of course I kid because you're not that much (laughs) younger than me, and I'm not that old myself. But in the late 1980s, we witnessed the first quote-unquote mobile phones. But these things were huge monsters. You know, such a phone and its battery pack literally took up a large briefcase to carry mm-hmm. around. And honestly, it was much easier, at least in our country, just to drop a dime into a payphone and make a call than to carry around such a large briefcase. In fact, I recall the first trial I had where, well, it wasn't the first trial I had, but it was the first trial where I was with a partner who had a mobile phone, and he kept falling around this huge case and I would just go down the hallway in the fourth house and make public communication. But in the uh-huh. 1990s and thereafter, mobile technology, uh, mobile phone technology really started developing and moving forward exponentially in terms of size, functionality, and convenience. And of course now we have these small devices, smaller than a pack of cards if you like, where you have the world literally uh, at your fingertips. And we all know that smartphones can do so much while we're on the road. We can search the internet, we can send emails and texts, we can engage in all sorts of social media activities, we can make financial transactions and purchases, we can make reservations at hotels and restaurants, we can uh, engage travel arrangements, we can check on the weather, we can obtain news from various sources, we can listen to music, watch TV shows, uh, movies, use a fast flashlight, get directions, see a map, use a compass, and it goes on and on. And these are just a few. I mean, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of apps um, that provide many benefits. Um, Now, 
those are, you know, the upside benefits. Of course, on the downside, as I hinted, you know, we really can be distracted and less available uh, in the real world itself. Uh, and I'm sure we've all seen situations where there'll be people at a restaurant and they're not actually talking to each other. They're looking down into the screens or they might be at an overlook at the Grand Canyon and not looking out at the view, but again, they're plugged yeah. into their, their smartphone. Um, but lest, lest we not believe that smartphones can do absolutely everything, and I recall the time, Jonathan, you told us about how there were people who were duped into believing that if they held their smartphone up to their face and they used you know, certain lights on the cell phone, uh, their acne would go away. And, of course, that was yeah. deemed uh, an unfair... Still one of my practice. favorite ever cases. Yeah. Well, it's come back <laughs> to us in, in a different form. <laughs> and let me tell you, and then I'll turn it over to you because I know you love this topic, and that's why I thought I'd pick it for this week. Our Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, has just announced enforcement actions against the providers of two apps that were represented to detect the signs of melanoma. So apparently by taking a photo of a mole on your face, the app on a smartphone supposedly could uh, detect melanoma. And these apps were called Mole Detective and Mole Detect. And they were on the market here between 2011 and 2012, and they could be purchased for up to $4.99. Uh, plainly, the FTC did not believe the apps were accurately represented to the public. In fact, if you have potential signs of melanoma, please go to your dermatologist. Do not rely on an app um, because smartphones cannot do everything. So from my end, Jonathan, what's the moral of the story? The moral appears to be that while smartphone technology will continue to develop as it has since its infancy, uh, and while these sm smartphones can do more tasks than previously imaginable, if a function offered appears to strain your imagination, Think twice before purchasing the app because you might be losing your money and you might be gaining some potential embarrassment. So, Jonathan, knowing that you love this topic, uh, I've only really been just setting the stage for whatever witty comments you now have. <laughs> no, uh, uh, thanks very much for, for uh, setting that up. I think it's a great comment and, and uh, uh, topic. And, Eric, I have to thank you for your warts and all analysis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of that. Um, well, why not? I, 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 I think the history of, the, of uh, history bit was fascinating as well. I actually won a case once when mobile phones came in. Um, and I'll tell you briefly a discursive story, then I'll get on to something more solid. Um, it was quite interesting. I represented a, a family business that we said had been ripped off terribly by a major multinational. And unfortunately, the family couldn't raise the money to litigate. And we'd got them as far as we could uh, and their budget allowed. And then we said to this multinational, we'll make a decision on what to do at 4 p.m. And I'd said to the client, the only way we're going to get a result, I think, this corporation had refused any prospect of settling the only way we were going to get a result I, I thought was to issue proceedings and the family were trying to raise the money for the for the court fees etc and and, and 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 had looked out really on on raising raising the cash but i had said to the lawyers on the other side 
we're going to make a decision at 4 p.m., after which time you'll only be able to reach me on my mobile in the, in the early days of mobiles. And, and I hadn't left the office because, unfortunately, the client hadn't raised money. But then the lawyers on the other side rung to say, uh, are you issuing proceedings? Where are you? I demand to know where you are. I demand to know your location. He hadn't quite got mobile phones, I don't think. And then said, um, are you in London outside the courts issuing proceedings? And, and in fact, I was 200 miles away. Uh, uh, sitting in in the office still, and uh, and basically this lawyer on the other side, somewhat strangely, I, I refused to answer the question and said I'm not under any obligation. Convinced himself he could hear London buses outside the royal courts of justice in his mind. It was the most odd thing, and then proceeded to offer us quite a large sum to settle the case on the basis that he thought we were outside the court and were about to enter to issue injunctive proceedings against his client. And um, so, so an odd story, but, and, and I don't wish this to sound David versus Goliath, but we have, you know, there is still a family business in existence in the north of England that has, um, uh, has mobile phone technology to thank for the fact that it uh, got a settlement in some litigation. On a more serious point, actually my colleague Andre Bywater has been looking in some detail at a recent uh, EU pronouncement on health apps and mobile phone data and so on. And that's quite worrying, actually, because it's very, very technical. And I'll, to try and keep it simple, I'll, I'll post the technical version in our LinkedIn profile. But there is a effectively a frat club of data protection officers called the Article 29 Working Party. We've talked about it before. They've yeah. just issued a very worthy letter and annex on what is and what isn't medical data, and particularly in line with things like the Apple Watch and health and well-being tracking devices that people wear on their wrists. And to cut a very long paper short and not really do it justice, they've decided that a lot of these well-being apps are actually health data. Uh, if, if they keep within the device, then you may be okay. But if they go out with the device and interact with websites or apps on your iPad or sync via Bluetooth or whatever that might be, then it is likely that you'll have to apply heightened measures from a data protection point of view. As you might know, personal data in, the, in Europe has, comes in two forms, regular personal data and sensitive personal data. Health data is always sensitive personal data, and so that means you have to have extra care handling the data, you have to have consent, you have to um, usually have uh, opt-in and so for anyone who's trying to sell apps or sell the data that they're gathering from smartphones relating to, I don't know, sleep patterns or diet or exercise or heart rate or any of that sort of stuff, this is potentially quite a game changer for many business models. So I suppose your evolution of the smartphones really interesting. But to watch the evolution of the regulators as they tune in 
to how these devices are being used is, is interesting as well. And it'll be, it, it could be one of those things, I guess Google Glass is the only other thing that you can think of, where technology advances at a pace and then plateaus as people work out the business model behind it. So I don't think it's a slam dunk for health applications on mobile phones. And, and maybe legislation will be part of the limiting point, for a short time at least, with some of these new applications. I don't know what you think about that, Eric. I agree. As we've said before, I mean, technology tends to explode out of the box, and it takes a little while for regulation to catch up. And so I think you make a very good point. Um, and I know that you know, healthcare data is construed relatively broadly here in the United States under HIPAA, um, mm. but you're bringing up sort of a whole new area. Um, so we'll have to stay tuned, and maybe we'll have a follow-up podcast on that. So this has been Podcast 141. Thank you for joining us. I'm Eric Sinra, and well, what was foggy San Francisco, but the fog is now burned off. I'm at uh, EJ Sinrod at DwayneMorris.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, Jonathan's always very good about posting our materials uh, online. And he's also extremely adept at uh, providing the final comment. Here you go. That's very kind. So um, we hope to speak to you in a particularly healthy, if not monitored, uh, mode next week. Um, thanks for listening in the meantime. Uh, I'm Jonathan Armstrong, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. I will post that uh, long article and, uh, and Eric's material in our LinkedIn group. Do take a look there. Do interact with us. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Meantime, have a good week. Cheers. 